0: All right, good evening brothers and sisters in the faith. Uh, Thank you so much for joining our Bible History Project for this evening. I do hope that you will participate together with us in our discussion today. And so when we ask you a question, it is our hope that you will give us the correct answer. Now I want to kind of uh, set free uh, from a burden, my beloved daughter. She doesn't want to ask her any more questions. So I'm gonna have to turn to my wife, who is so willing to answer all questions that we might possibly need to discuss. Now we're going to do the last part of the book of Exodus. So after today we will complete the book of Exodus. Praise be to our loving God Yahuwah. That was a pretty long one. Huh? And so we have 50 more books left. We finished two books. or We're going to finish two books by the end of today's Bible history project. And so we have 50 more to go. And so we're going to talk about the dedication of The tabernacle. Remember in our previous study, we talked about how God restored his relationship with his people. And so now the preparations are being made so that the tabernacle of God can be actually made. However, before we get to what took place prior to the dedication of the tabernacle, let's go ahead and look first at what our role is, why this study is relevant for us, the very small remnant of God's people in these last days. Before we go to the book of Exodus, let's turn first to the Isaiah prophecy that we hold on to and look for guidance in the book of Isaiah 1, 8 to 9. So the daughter of Zion is left as a booth in a vineyard, as a hut in the garden of cucumbers, as a besieged city. Unless Yahuwah hosts had left to us a very small remnant, we would have become like sodom we would have been made like gomorrah numerous times we talked about the biblical pattern of how god's people they would be blessed by him they would prosper and grow but they would turn away from our god and so as always god sets apart a small remnant and this small remnant is whom god will expect to continue the work of worshiping him and so we know Even in these last days, the daughter of Zion will suffer the same fate. They will turn away from God. It will be turned into a besieged city, and there is what is left, a very small remnant. What is the work of the very small remnant? Well, what happened to the people of God? It became a besieged city. When you look at something like that, what do we need to do? We need to restore that, right? We need to go into a building project. This is why what we told you, like what we told you today, the building of the tabernacle is kind of relevant during our time as they were preparing and they were building the tabernacle. We too are building something because the daughter of Zion is left as a besieged city. And so what is our objective? Let's turn to Isaiah one twenty-six, and I will restore your judges as at the first and your counselors as at the beginning after that you will be called the city of righteousness a faithful city and so our purpose as God's people in these last days is to rebuild to build the city of God so that it will again be recognized as a city of righteousness and so because we are in a building project today We can learn a few things here and there from the building project that took place long ago during the days of Moses when they built the tabernacle of God. So before they dedicated the tabernacle of God, the people of God needed to first be dedicated to the work that is ahead. And So what did Yahuwah God instruct Moses to tell the people to do? Exodus 35, 4 down to 9. Then Moses said to the whole community of Israel, this is what Yahuwah has commanded. Take a sacred offering for Yahuwah. Let those with generous hearts present the following gifts to Yahuwah, gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, fine linen and goat hair for cloth, tanned ram skins and fine goatskin leather, acacia wood, olive oil for the lamps; spices for the anointing oil, And the fragrant incense onyx stones and other gemstones to be set in the ephod and the priests chest piece and so what was the command of god so that the tabernacle could be built well they needed resources right and so to get these resources what did god command moses to do he said "Uh, moses tell the whole community of the people of israel that this is the command of Yahweh our God what is that to give a sacred offering for Yahweh and who are those who are going to give a sacred offering to Yahweh bible says let those with generous hearts present the following gifts to Yahweh he goes on to list the things that were needed for the building of the tabernacle and also for what was required for the attire of aaron and the priests who were to serve in the tabernacle so what was the response of the people of israel let's read what it says in 20 to 22 so the whole community of israel left moses and returned to their tents all whose hearts were steered and whose spirits were moved came and brought their sacred offerings to yahuwah they brought all the materials needed for the tabernacle for the performance of its rituals and for the sacred garments. Both men and women came, all whose hearts were willing. They brought to Yahuwah their offerings of gold, ruches, earrings, rings from their fingers and necklaces. They presented gold objects of every kind as a special offering to Yahuwah. What was the response of the people of Israel after the command that Yahuwah gave was issued to them to give sacred offerings to him. The Bible says the people of Israel were all steered to give to, the, to Yahuwah our God. Both men and women, they all were moved to give generously a special offering to our God. So we can see God gives a command and God enables the people, to obey the command that he has given. And because of this command of God, how were the people of Israel dedicated in fulfilling this command? Let's read 36, 3 down to six. Moses gave them the materials donated by the people of Israel, sacred offerings for the completion of the sanctuary. But the people continued to bring additional gifts each morning. Finally, the craftsmen who were working on the sanctuary left their work. They went to Moses and reported the people have given more than enough materials to complete the job Yahuwah has commanded us to do. So Moses gave the command, and this message was sent throughout the camp. Men and women don't prepare any more gifts for the sanctuary. We have enough. So the people stopped bringing their sacred offerings how dedicated were the people of God after God issued the command to give sacred offerings to him they were so dedicated there had to be a second command telling them stop giving can you imagine that I mean is that something that we find nowadays when the leaders of God's people tell the people stop giving that's what happened during the days of Moses as they prepared to build The tabernacle, the people of God, they were so dedicated, they gave way more than what was needed to the point where Moses had to say to them, had to convince them, stop giving your sacred offering. And so this shows the dedication of God's people. Well, how much were they able to collect? In Exodus 38, they were able to collect 2,193 pounds of gold. 7,545 pounds of silver, and 5,310 pounds of bronze. And so indeed, they were moved to give. Take note, they were not forced to give. As a matter of fact, they were kind of forced to stop giving, right? You see, when God works, you don't need to compel, you don't need to force anyone to give. It will come. It was true during the days of the book of Exodus. It's also true during the days of the early Christians. Is this true? Oh, yeah. What's the proof? Let's go to the Christian era, 2 Corinthians 8, 3 down to 4. Perhaps you are familiar with the scripture, but this is what it has to say. In 2 Corinthians 8, 3 to 4, For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it out of their own free will they begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in jerusalem you see when there's a need that the people of god have you know what god's gonna do he's going to move the heart move the hearts of his people he will find a way so that whatever need the people of god have it will be met during the days of the early christians there was a famine in jerusalem right And so what did God do? He moved the hearts of the Christians to give offering to help those who are in famine. And who were those who wanted to give? The Macedonians. This passage we read to you was about the testimony of the apostle Paul concerning the Macedonians. What did he say about the Macedonians? Did you read verse four? What does it say in verse four? They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. Do you notice a pattern concerning the people of God when it comes to giving? Did Moses have to force the people to give? No. Did Apostle Paul have to force the people to give? No. These Macedonians, they practically begged, not once, but several times. It says they begged us again and again because they want to give offering. They want to have a share in the giving to the believers therein jerusalem and so this is god's word well maybe you might be thinking all the macedonians maybe they were rich is that true let's read what it says in verses one to two now i want you to know dear brothers and sisters what god in his kindness has done through the churches in macedonia they are being tested by many troubles and they are very poor but they are also filled with abundant joy which has overflowed in rich generosity. The Macedonians who gave, were they wealthy? The Bible says they were poor, very poor. Not only were they very poor, the Bible says they were experiencing many troubles. Yet, despite their condition in life, despite the fact they were very poor and that they were in many troubles, what did they do? They were filled with abundant joy, and they were overflowed with rich generosity you see this is the work not of anyone not the leaders of the church but god because the bible says god in his kindness look what he has done through the churches in in macedonia this is the work of god the work of god should always be in our minds when it comes to offering we are not the ones to compel you to give you have to give on your own Yes, there's great work that we need to do during these last days in preparation for the second advent of Christ of Christ or the second re- the return of our Lord and Savior Yahushua the Christ. We are preparing to build his temple, to build the body of Christ. However, just like what happened in the first century church and during the days of the book of Exodus, we're not compelling anyone to give. Despite this, God has moved so many members of the church of yahushua to voluntarily to freely give their offering to God even if they are hindered they still continue to give praises be to our loving God Yahuwah. However, is it enough? Was it enough that we simply get the resources to build the tabernacle? Let's go back to Exodus 3510. All the skilled workers among you are to come and make everything that yahuwah commanded not only was there a call to give offering there was also a call for skilled workers and who was one notable worker that responded to this call of god 35 30 to 33 and moses told the people of israel yahuwah has specifically chosen bezalel son of uri grandson of the poor of the tribe of Judah, Yahuwah has filled Bezalel with the Spirit of God, giving him great wisdom, ability, and expertise in all kinds of crafts. He is a master craftsman, expert in working with gold, silver, and bronze. He is skilled in engraving and mounting gemstones, and in carving wood, he is a master at every craft. Can you imagine that? Just what they needed, right? What, was there, what were they planning to do? What was the project that they were involved in to build a tabernacle? It just so happens there was a specialist. What's his name? Bezalel. You know, even during our time, you know, when after we left the institution and we are rebuilding the people of God, isn't it true that God gave us workers? God gave us people with the spirit of Yahuwah? who who has wisdom hasn't God given us people gifted in music gifted in musical composition gifted in leadership also people who know how to set up a foundation all of these little things kind of came together and people who know how to build a website who know how to set up the Facebook and do visual computer graphics All of this came together in our work together. You see, when God has work for us to do, not only will He provide the resources, He will provide the people who will carry out the work. One was Bezalel. Who else? Uh, 34, 35. Yahuwah has given to him, Bezalel, and to Oholiab. I hope I'm pronouncing that correct. Oholiab, son of Ahishamak from the tribe of Dan the ability to teach the crafts to others and so they were teachers so that others can learn these skills that Bezalel possessed he has given them skill in all kinds of work done by engravers designers and weavers of fine linen blue purple and red wool and other cloth they are able to do all kinds of work and are skillful designers and so God he used The people as skilled workers because God sent his spirit that they can be guided for the work that is to be done. And so what were they able to do? 36 verse 1, Bezalel, Aholiab and all the other workers to whom Yahuwah has given skill and understanding who know how to make everything needed to build a sacred tent are to make everything just as Yahuwah has commanded And so God, not only does he provide the resources through his people, he also provides the skill that the people need to carry out his will and the project that is to be fulfilled. How about during our time, during the days of the very small remnant in the, during the ends of the earth? Did God also give us the ability to carry out the work? Did God also provide us with his spirit? Let's read the book of Acts two seventeen to twenty one. In the last days, God says, "I will pour my spirit on everyone. Your sons and daughters will speak what God has revealed. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour my spirit on my servants, on both men and women. They will speak what God has revealed." I will work miracles in the sky and give signs on the earth, blood, fire, and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will become as red as blood before the terrifying day of Yahuwah comes. Then whoever calls on the name of Yahuwah will be saved. Will God also provide the skills needed? Will Yahuwah also give to his people during these last days what is needed for the work to be done? absolutely the same Spirit of God that God gave to begin the Christian era is also the same Spirit of God that he gives at the end or towards the end of the Christian era in these last days why what is the purpose of the Spirit of God the Bible says he will pour his Spirit not just to one man it says he will pour his Spirit to all who are called in this prophecy they will be used by god to reveal his will not only that but also is the purpose of the spirit of god which is why he will pour it to all of his sons and daughters let's read corinthians 12 4 to 6 there are different spiritual gifts but the same spirit gives them there are different ways of serving and yet the same lord is served there are different types of work to do but the same god produces every gift in every person What does it mean that God will pour out his spirit? Why is that so important, especially as it relates to the work that we are doing, as the very small remnant in building the city of righteousness? The Bible says by his spirit we have been given different gifts, spiritual gifts. What are these spiritual gifts? Let's read Romans 12, 6 to 8. God, in his kindness, gave each of us different gifts. If your gift is speaking God's word, make sure that you, what you say agrees with the Christian faith. If your gift is serving, then devote yourself to serving. If it is teaching, devote yourself to teaching. If it is encouraging others, devote yourself to giving encouragement. If it is sharing, be generous. If it is leadership, lead enthusiastically. If it is helping people in need, help them cheerfully. Is it true that God provided all of this to us? Yes. As a matter of fact, we were even surprised how God was able to provide everything we needed. And he continues to do so. Because God promised he will pour out his spirit to each and every one of us. Can you imagine? Were you expecting that what is happening to us today, was going to happen to us did we predict this was going to happen when we left the institution because we saw the anomalies, because of what we saw as a great deviation from the faith that we know is from the Holy Bible. When we left the institution, did we expect that what, what is happening now is going to happen? The prophecies falling in alignment, God providing solutions to our problems, God giving everything that we need and we continue to grow. Brethren, this is not our work. Whose work is that? This is the work of Yahuwah, our God. Because what he wants us to do is to build that city of righteousness. What is that city of righteousness that we must build? Let's read the book of Ephesians 4, 12 to 13. The responsibility is to equip God's people to do this, to do his work. And build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such Unity in our faith and knowledge of God's son that we will be mature in the Lord measuring up to the full to the full and complete standard of Christ. What is that city the city of righteousness that we are to build it is the church the body of Christ. Remember the church does not refer to the physical temple the church refers to the people. The people collectively, they represent the body of our Lord and Savior, Yahushua, Christ. That is what we're going to build up. What does it mean that we have to build up the people of God? The Bible says we need to have unity in our faith. What does that mean? That we will measure up to the full and complete standard of Christ. In other words, our goal. Is for all of us who are followers of Yehusha the Christ, not just to worship together, not just to learn together, but to become more and more like who, like Yehusha the Christ. That's our goal. That we will come to the unity in our faith, being perfectly one with Yehusha himself in all that we do, in how we speak, in how we act. How we think it is like the mind of Yahusha the Christ. But for us to be able to do this, what do we need to understand? Apostle Paul says we need to also reach that point where we increase in our knowledge of who? God's son. Apostle Paul did not say be complacent in your knowledge of God's son. No. We need to increase our knowledge concerning God and the Son of God. This is why we need to know the Holy Bible. We need to study the scriptures because it is the scriptures that will inform us. So that the knowledge about the Son of God can lead us into becoming more like the Son of God. Where can we find that source of knowledge? Romans 1:16 to 17, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First for the Jews, then for the Gentiles. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. According to the Holy Bible, where can we find God's righteousness revealed? The gospel the gospel will teach us all about the Son of God. Why? So that we can live by faith. You see, for us to become just like Yahusha, it's not enough that we haven't head knowledge. I mean, there are a lot of people who have a lot of head knowledge, right? They know a lot of things about Yahusha. They know a lot of things, they know a lot of things about God, but they're not living out their life according to faith. Our purpose so that we can become like Yahusha, not only because we know all about him. The Bible says we need to live by faith. This is how we build the city of righteousness. We cannot be called the city of righteousness until we are able to live according to God's righteousness. This is our purpose. This is what we want to do. And just like the days of old, when the people of God, during the time of Moses, when they were building that tabernacle they were dedicated in that we have to be dedicated as well and so because they were dedicated in giving because they were dedicated in with their skill in building what eventually happened let's go back to exodus 40 39 rather 32 and so at last the tabernacle was finished the israelites had done everything just as yahuwah had commanded moses i want you to imagine going back in time you were a part of god's people the israelites and you were very dedicated in building the tabernacle everyone had a part to do the men the kids the females everyone had a part in the work and everyone was involved how would you feel when finally you can see with your own eyes the tabernacle standing right there how would you feel you're gonna be be filled with joy Right? You know, one day we're going to finish building the city of righteousness. We will reach the perfection of faith, and so that the Lord Yahushua will come to give us our salvation. We cannot wait for that day. However, when this happened during the days of Israel, according to the Holy Bible, when they finished the tabernacle, what happened next? Let's read what it says in 41:3: Then Yahuwah said to Moses, Set up the tabernacle. On the first day of the new year, place the Ark of the Covenant inside and install the inner curtain to enclose the Ark within the most holy place. And so, Yehovah gave instructions. Yes, the tabernacle has been set up on the first day of the new year. And so, why? what is going to transpire next? What is God planning to do? Which, if we think about it, also points to what we can expect in the future. Okay? What is that? What happened? Let's go ahead and read Exodus 4012 12, 15. Then you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the doorway of the tent of meeting, wash them with water. You shall put the holy garments on Aaron and anoint him and consecrate him that he may minister as a priest to me. You shall bring his sons and put tunics on them. You shall anoint them even as you have anointed their father. They may minister as priests to me and their anointing will qualify them for a perpetual priesthood throughout their generations. And so after the tabernacle was set and Yahuwah is about to descend, what did he instruct Moses to do? He basically told Moses you have to consecrate Aaron and his sons. Why? Because they are to work or serve as what? Is it a privilege to be a priest of God? Yes, absolutely. It is a great blessing for our God to be a priest serving and working for him. And so after the priesthood was set, and after the tabernacle was ready, what happened next, 34 to 35? Then the cloud covered the tabernacle. And the glory of Yahuwah filled the tabernacle. Moses could no longer enter the tabernacle because the cloud had settled down over it. And the glory of Yahuwah filled the tabernacle. What happened? After the tabernacle was set, the priests were consecrated. What happened next? The Bible says the glory of God was manifested. How was it manifested as? Cloud, right? cloud filled the tabernacle. In fact, the cloud covered the tabernacle that Moses could not even enter the tabernacle. This was the glory of our almighty Yahuwah. And what was the purpose of this cloud covering the tabernacle? Let's read the final passage of the book of Exodus. Okay, the book of Exodus 40, 36 to 38. Now, whenever the cloud lifted from the tabernacle, The people of Israel would set out on their journey following it. But if the cloud did not rise, they remained where they were until it lifted. The cloud of Yahuwah hovered over the tabernacle during the day, and at night fire glowed inside the cloud so the whole family of Israel could see it. This continued throughout all their journeys. According to the Holy Bible, what was the purpose of God? His glory be manifested as cloud. It is to serve as a visible guide for the people of Israel. And so when the cloud was in the tabernacle, they would stay put. Right? But if the cloud lifted, they were to follow the cloud. What a nice thing. Right? Don't you wish we had something like that? We have something similar. It's called the spirit of Yahuwah. Right? We follow the spirit. Of Yahuwah this is why we have been guided all this time to where we are today because of the guidance of God's spirit and so all of these things that transpired during the building and dedication of the tabernacle that will also happen for us in the future remember there was a tabernacle there was a spirit of God and there was the priesthood how does this translate to what we can expect in the future after we fulfill the work of god let's read revelation 20 verse 6 blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection let's pause there for a while who are those who have part in the first resurrection who are they those who are in christ those who belong to Yahusha. they have the, the part they have a part in the first resurrection. In other words, they'll be resurrected first. And if they are included in the first resurrection, what does that mean for them? The Bible says the second death has no power over them. But what does it say? They will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. Isn't that amazing? We're going to be priests together with Yahusha the Christ. As our Lord, we're going to reign together with Him for a thousand years. And so, this is what we can look forward to as the city of righteousness is prepared for the second advent of our Messiah. When the city of righteousness is prepared and is ready for the rulership of the Messiah, then we will rule together with Him. What else can we expect? Revelation 21. had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it for the glory of god illuminated the lamb is its light according to scriptures much like the day when the tabernacle was dedicated to god the glory manifested itself in the holy city when we are victorious when we rule together with yahushua the christ what shall we witness bible says god himself will be with us god will tabernacle with men we're going to be with god himself In fact, this is going to be so glorious, there's no need for the sun and the moon to shine upon the city because God's glory illuminates the entire city. The Lamb is its light. And so this is what we look forward to as we build the city of righteousness, the people of God in these last days. Okay, that's our lesson for today. Now let's go to our mailbox. And so this was given to me. Uh, this was sent to me um, over my messenger. It's a screenshot of the following question. It's in Tagalog, though. Bakit hindi ginagamit ni sugo sugoan. What does that mean? Sugo sugoan. How do you translate that in English? What oh, is that fake uh, uh, Ah, messenger. fake messenger? Okay. So why doesn't the fake messenger Dizon, use the BYNB Bible version uh, of New White, also known as Yahuwah Believer, when citing the verse Acts twenty twenty eight. 28, nitpicking, or pick and choose to support Bizon's Latin name, God, Yahuwah Revelation, Biba. Isn't that right, Dizon and Nemes? And the question is, why do we nitpick the translations that we use? Sometimes we use BYNB, sometimes we don't. And so the question is, why are you nitpickers? Why do you not use BYNB version of Acts 1.28? Well, first of all, who told you that we don't use the BYNB version of Acts 1.28? Only you said that, that's your conclusion, but we do. In fact, it's a nice translation for Acts 1.28, why? Well, this is what it says in Acts 20.28, 20, B-Y-N-D, which we use. There's nothing wrong with B-Y-N-D, Acts 20.28. 20, Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, among which the Ruach HaKodesh has made you overseers, you shepherd, the assembly of Allahim, which he has purchased with his own blood. Do we agree with this translation of Acts 20.28? Yes. Why? Because it mentions the work, of God, through Yahusha Hamashiach, through the power of the Ruach Kadosh. This is why this is a nice translation of Acts twenty, verse twenty-eight. It mentions the assembly of Allahim. What does the word Alahim mean? God. What's the he? What's the uh, Greek word for God? Greek word for God. Christos or Theos. Theos. Right. The assembly of Allahim, the assembly of Phaos, which he has purchased with his own blood. Whose blood is that? The blood of Yahusha. The assembly that belongs to God, that was purchased by Yahushua with his own blood. You see the work of Yahuwah and Yahusha, the church that was purchased by the Blood of Yahusha, that's the church that belongs to who? Yahuwah. The Alahim. That's why it's the assembly of Alahim. You know, if you look at the Greek of Acts 2028, 20. this is what it's, how it looks like. Church of God. It says Phaos. Phaos in Greek, which he purchased with blood his own. The blood of his own. Okay. Or he purchased with blood his own. And so this is the Greek of Acts 20.28. As a matter of fact, if you look at all the different translations of Acts 20.28, most of it is Church of God. Some of it is Church of Lord. But in Acts 20.28, you find what? Church of Christ. And so when he accuses us of nitpicking, he's asking us why we don't use the by for Acts 20.28. First of all, we do use BYNP, there's nothing wrong with BYNP. Question is, why do they only use Lamza for X 2028? <laughs> why don't they use NKJV, NIV, TEV? The other translations for x 2028, why do they only use a Lamza? So to get the whole Lamza translation, if you go to every local congregation, they have a Lamza. When you go to the Philippines to study the ministry, they're gonna sell you a Lamza. <laughs> they want you to buy a Lamza. So they have this big Bible called the Lambda Translation, and the only time they use it is when? I'm going to read Acts 28. 28, Who's nitpicking now? And then they get a Mafa Translation. The only time they use it is what? Isaiah 43, 5, two, 6, right? And so when they ask us, why are you nitpicking? We're not. Truth is, who's really nitpicking? Who's nitpicking? Isn't it they, them who are nitpicking? This is why when this question was given to me, all I can do is shake my head. <laughs> I don't get it. Right. But that same brother who gave that uh, that question also gave another question or also gave uh, another accusation against us, that same brother. Right. And this time he says, according to Rolando, the lunar eclipse on July 27, 2018 in these last days period as being the longest one hour and 43 minutes in the 21st century is the fulfillment of the moon will turn blood red. Yes, the lunar eclipse, when it comes to research or Googling, we can always count on Rolando to blunder. Why is Rolando's opinion uh, wrong? Because if the particular verse is about lunar eclipse, the correct longest lunar eclipse happened on July 16, 2000, before they became the small remnant Kunuk for one hour and 47 minutes. Yes, it happened after July 1914 when INC re emerged, but not after 2015 when the rebellious Kibalaks became small remnant usurpers. First, I want to point out a couple of mistakes, if I may. July 1914, when INC re Emerge. Does that mean there's two churches? Church in the first century, another church that was re emerged? Doesn't make any sense. Does it? INC re emerged in 1914. Was there an INC in the first century? Was there? Because for INC to re emerge in 1914, there had to be an INC before 1914. Does that make sense? How can you re emerge if you didn't exist before 1914? But he's telling us that. Rolando made a mistake, made an error, because what was his mistake? Well, he said that I said the longest uh, lunar eclipse in the 21st century was the one that happened July 27, 2018. How long was that for? One hour and 43 minutes. I don't recall ever making that statement, but I think I did. Right? I said that. Okay. So after saying that, an hour and 43 minutes in the 21st century, the longest eclipse, July 27, 2018, he says that's wrong. Why does he say that's wrong? Because he said, no, the correct longest lunar eclipse happened July 16, 2000. How long was that? An hour 47 minutes. How long was the one in 2018? An hour and 43 minutes. So it seems like I'm wrong, right? But you know what the funny thing is? He gave his own explanation. And his own explanation gives him the answer. What was his explanation? He said the longest possible total lunar eclipse, this is his answer, okay? The longest possible total lunar eclipse is one hour and 47 minutes. In fact, the longest total eclipse of the 20th century, 1901 to 2000, occurred on July 16, 2000, with a duration of one hour and 46.4 minutes. And so according to his source, july 16 2000 was the longest lunar eclipse of the 20th century and he even putting parentheses 1901 to 2000 is the 20th century i don't know do you notice something what do you notice he's accusing us of error when we said that the longest Lunar eclipse in the 21st century was an hour and 43 minutes, but he says, no, the longest lunar eclipse is was a July 16, 2000, which is in reference to what I said in the 21st century, but what do we know? The 21st century started when? After 2000, right? Is that true? Well, I had to Google it. And sure enough, when the 21st century is the current century of Anno Domini, the the first day of uh, the 21st century was January 1, 2001. So is it correct to say that the longest lunar eclipse was the one July 27, 2018? The longest one in the 21st century? Is that correct to say that? Yes. You see, whoever this brother was, he didn't understand the difference between the 21st century and the 20th. Centric. So all I can do again is, uh, not again, I've got to shake my head. Uh, there's another one. This was sent to me last Tuesday. Um, and so I clicked on it and it gave an article, an article. Like, and so I read the article and this is what it said. It says, if our fallen friends, I'm glad he called us his friends. This was written by a minister a highly esteemed minister of the Iglesia de Cristo, okay? Highly respected, very nice guy. He says, if our fallen friends, so he calls us friends. That's good. He's got a good heart. If our fallen friends are still reading, take this advice. Don't be a hypocrite. So I guess he's accusing us of being what? Hypocrite. Go back and read the verses you omitted. Meditate on them. And once you do that, I highly recommend that you take them to heart, repent, and do your best to return to the true church while you still have a chance. So he has good motive, has good intentions, right? He wants us to return to the true church, which he believes is the church where he belongs. And so his motives are good. His motives are pure, nothing wrong with that, okay? And so to convince us uh, to return to the church where he belongs, he calls us a hypocrite, okay? You're a hypocrite. Don't be a hypocrite. Read the verses that you omitted, which causes me to wonder, what verses did we omit, right? As I'm thinking, what is that verse that we omit? And so it turns out in the article, um, he took a screenshot of something that we posted. It says, "Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For the same way you are, you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you." Matthew seven one to five. Well, what's on the quote? It's only Matthew 7, 1, 2, 2. And so whoever posted this apparently did not include the rest of the passage, namely 3 down to 5. Now, I don't know who posted that, but let's go ahead and look at the argument and see what we can get out of it. Because he adds on, he adds to it and says, I agree. I agree it is a defining verse for them that Matthew 7, 1 2, 2 is a defining verse for us and for other groups that rebelled and continue to maliciously make accusations against the church and the church administration, but not in the way that they probably intended. It is indeed very telling that they cite Matthew 7, 1 5, and yet only quote verses 1 down to 2. Just look at the verses that they either purposely or unknowingly omitted. So we did not purposely omit, because this was not our post in the first place. Nevertheless, um, let's go ahead and read 3 down to 5. And so he posts it in his article, 3 down to 5, this is what it says. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all at uh, the time, there is a plank in your own eyes. You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And so that's 3 down to 5 of Matthew chapter 7. Take note, we are in Matthew chapter 7. After reading Matthew 7, 1 to 5, what is their conclusion? what are what is he trying to say well he says there is a saying that if you point a finger at another person you are inadvertently pointing three fingers back at yourself isn't this a perfect example so if i'm pointing at the camera at this i guess there are three fingers pointing to my wife <laughs> i guess it depends on the position of your fingers Point is, if you accuse someone of doing something, then you are accusing yourself as well, right? That's his point. And so I guess his point also is you cannot correct anyone. You cannot accuse anyone of anything. This is why he adds but they will argue, that they are not judging anyone, much less the church administration. But then, why did they make a list of sins, ranging from paganism to murder, that the administration is supposedly guilty of. Isn't that the very definition of judging someone? And so his conclusion is, which is why we're called hypocrites, is that we use Matthew 7, 1 to 2, all the way to 5, right? And it says, do not judge anyone. Yet at the same time, we come up with a list of sins, and we accuse the executive minister of being guilty of those sins. And he says, isn't that the very definition of judging someone? And so how would you answer that? yeah Yahusha, the Christ says, do not judge unless you be judged. Does that mean, does that mean if there's someone who commits murder, we're not going to say anything? If someone commits adultery or rape, we're not going to say anything? Oh, do not judge. He just killed someone. He just raped someone. Do not judge. Is that what it means? I mean, if we saw this scenario, right, we have someone of authority. And we have someone who's a victim someone who's being oppressed are we just gonna sit idly by and not say anything or are we going to say something are we going to say wait a minute that officer right there is doing something against the will of god is that what we should say yes are we judging yes but in a different way you see when yahushua says do not judge is it is he trying to tell us that we are no longer to judge at all that we are not able to make a decision concerning whether someone is right or wrong? Is that what you just try and tell us? No, this is why I want you to look at Matthew 7, 1 in the Greek. What does the word judge mean? The word judge comes from that Greek word G2919, okay? Remember that number. This is what it means, G2919. That's the Greek word that was used in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, concerning the word judge. What does it mean? It means judge, determine, condemn. And so it has a lot of meanings. And the meaning depends on the context of how it is to be used. And so what is one meaning? It means to determine. What is another meaning? To condemn. And so when Yahushua says that we are not to judge, We need to understand the context of what he's talking about. And so we're going to get to that later. But when it says here, do not judge, it says determine, condemn. When it says determine, what does it mean? Go to the bottom. It says properly to distinguish, to decide mentally or judicially. And so when you judge, you think critically, you think with discernment to determine whether or not something is right or something is wrong using a standard. You get that? And so we judge something is wrong because we use the standard. We looked at the situation, and so we determine this is wrong based on our judgment or discernment. And how do you judge by condemning? Well, when you punish and you condemn, that's also a form of judgment. And so when Yahushua says, do not judge lest you be judged, Does it mean we cannot discern? Does it mean we cannot judge a person or judge something as right or wrong? Is that what Yahushua is trying to tell us? No. See, there's something I want this minister to do. He's telling us we should have read three down to five. Now we're going to tell him, read the whole chapter. Read the whole chapter of Matthew 7 so we can get the context. The context of what it means when Yahushua says, do not judge. Does it mean when Yahushua says do not judge, does it mean we don't no longer use our discernment? Does it mean we no longer use the ability to see whether one is right and the other is wrong? Let's read verse 6. We read Matthew 7, 1 to 5, right? Let's read verse 6. I guess he doesn't want me to read this verse. Let's read verse 6. Matthew 7, 6. Do not give what is holy to dogs. Ouch. Yahushua says, do not give what is holy to dogs. They will only turn and attack you. Do not throw your pearls in front of pigs. They will only trample them underfoot. So after Yahushua says, do not judge anyone, he goes on to say in verse 6, do not give what is holy to dogs. Do not give pearls to pigs. Now for us to be able to determine who is under the category of dog or pig, what do we need to do? We need to make a Judgment, right? You make a judgment to determine whether or not one is considered a dog or a pig. So Yahushua is telling us to use discernment, to use judgment. So we judge whether or not someone can be categorized as dog or pig. Okay. What else does Yahushua tell us? Let's stay in Matthew chapter 7. Let's go to 13, 14. Go in through the narrow gate. Because the gate to hell is wide, and the road that many leads to it easy. And there are many who travel it. But the gate to life is narrow, and the way that leads to it is hard. There are few people who find it. What else does Yahushua instruct us to do? He says you need to know the difference between the white gate and the narrow gate. What does that call for? We need to make a judgment. We need to make a decision. Which gate is narrow, which gate is narrow. Wide, right? What does that mean? We have to use our skill, our mental skills. We have to make a judgment. We don't say, Oh, don't judge. Everyone's going there. Oh, don't judge. No one's going, no one's going in that direction. Oh, don't judge. No, we are to judge to determine which gate is narrow and which gate is wide, right? What else does Yahusha instruct us to do? Again, this is still Matthew chapter 7. We just want to illustrate a point. We're going to conclude later on. I want to give you points to consider. 15 on the 20. Be on your guard against false. I want to pause for a while. Yahushua is speaking about false prophets, right? And what did he say about the false prophets? They come to you looking like sheep on the outside. But on the inside, they are really like wild wolves. Let's pause for a while. And so how can you determine or what else does Yahushua tell us to do to make a judgment on. We need to make a judgment on whether or not the one speaking to us, holding a Bible, right? Including myself, including myself. You have to judge what I'm doing, right? Yahusha says, we have to make a judgment call because we need to be on guard against false prophets. Because just because one is preaching the word of God doesn't mean they are prophets sent by who? Yahusha, that's why the Bible says they even wear sheep's clothing. They look like sheep. They're not gonna say, I'm a false prophet, listen to me. They're not gonna say that. And so what do we need to do? We need to judge. We don't say to ourselves, oh, don't judge. He is preaching the word of God, don't judge. We are to judge. Yahushua says, make a decision, make a determination whether or not they are false prophets. Well, how do you judge them? A false prophet. Well, this is what Yahushua says. You will know You will know them by what they do, horn bushes, do not bear grapes, and briars do not bear figs. Uh, a healthy tree bears good fruit, but a poor tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a poor tree cannot bear good fruit. And any tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down from in, in the fire. So then you will know the false prophets by what they do. And so Yahushua instructs us on how we can determine which prophets are of God, and which prophets are not. What does he tell us to do? Look at their actions. Look at what they're doing. Right? I mean, if there's a prophet, a preacher, who has no respect for the parents, what are we going to do? If there's a preacher who sends us a, a sibling to jail for no reason. What are we going to do? The Bible says we have to look at the deeds. We have to look at the actions. Right? If there's a preacher who receives the glory that belongs to God for himself, what are we to do? Yahushua says, look at their actions. Look at their fruit. Because the fruit will determine whether or not they are false or true. Is Yahusha telling us just because they claim to be of Yahushua? Because these false preachers, they claim that they belong to God. Don't they not? Does Yahushua say to us, don't judge. Let me be the one to judge them. No! Bible says, judge whether or not they are true or false, because if they're false, have nothing to do with them. And so Yahusha again calls us to judge. What else? Matthew 7, 24 to 27. So then anyone who hears these words of mine and obeys them is like a wise man who built his house on rock. The rain poured down, the rivers flooded over, and the wind blew hard against the house, but it did not fall because it was built on a rock. But anyone who hears these words of mine and does not obey them is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain poured down, the rivers flooded over, the wind blew and blew hard against that house and it fell. And what a terrible fall that was. What else does Yahushua call us to do? What act of judgment must we also do according to Yahushua? He says we have to determine whether or not a house is built on a rock or built on what? Sand, right? Because if it's built on sand, get out. Why? Because it's going to collapse. It's going to fall. And so we need to make sure we only go to the house that is built upon the rock. If it's not built upon the rock, then we cannot go there. Is he telling us to make a judgment? Yeah. He's telling us whether or not to remain in the church or to leave that church, right? So we have to make a judgment. Again, this is what Yahusha tells us to do. And how can we know whether or not the house is on rock or the house is on sand? Yahusha says, if they hear the words of Yahusha and obey them on the rock. But if they hear the words of Yahusha, but they don't obey them, it's on sand. You better get out of there. This is why we left, right? Because we made a judgment call. We made a decision based on discernment as Yahusha instructed. And so what then does it mean when Yahusha gave the instruction in matthew seven 1, 5. let's read this passage again and then we will show you it says here do not judge or you too will be judged for in the same way you judge others you'll be judged and the measure you use will be measured to you why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye how can you say to your brother let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is plank in your own eye. The hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So, the video. Okay. All right. So, according to Yahushua, Matthew 7, 1-5, he says, do not judge. When Yahusha said, do not judge, or you too will be judged, In what sense is he talking about? How can we know? Matthew 7, 1-5, and the sermon that he gave, you know who his primary target was? Who did he really want to hear that message? Who was he targeting? Yahusha. The Pharisees. Why? Because when the Pharisees judged, it was not to help out a fellow believer. It was to condemn them to, Everlasting punishment. This is why Yahushua said, "Do not judge, or you too will be judged." And so, in what sense does Yahusha say, "Do not judge"? When we judge someone, not to help them, but to condemn them. You see the difference? The Pharisees judged because they wanted to condemn, not to help, but to condemn. How so? They condemned them to hell. Only God can do something like that. Only God can make a judgment concerning what will happen to them after they die. So that's what we cannot do. We cannot say to another person, okay, I judge that you are going to hell. You cannot say that, right? I judge that you're not going to go to hell. You cannot say that. Only God can say that. And so what Yahushua is telling us not to do is to judge someone concerning something we are not authorized to do. Let to determine their eternal condition. However, what kind of judgment does Yahusha want from us? If you look at verse 5, right, I want you to pay close emphasis to what he says at this part here, the underlying part. What does Yahusha say? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. What does Yahusha tell us? Can we judge someone? Yes. In what sense? When we want to help them out when we want to remove the what? The speck from someone's eyes. However, what does Yahusha warn us? He says, before you do that, make sure you can see clearly. What does that mean? Look at your own life first. Because it may be you're accusing someone of this sin, but look at your life. Do not be a hypocrite. This is why if our intent is to help a brother or a sister, because we see that they're traveling a path that will lead to destruction, and we help them out. We make a judgment call. That's what Yahushua wants us to do, to get that speck out from our brother or our sister's eyes, because sometimes we cannot see what they can see, right? And so we help each other out by judging each other's behaviors to make sure that we're all in the same direction towards salvation. And so after reading that passage, when we go back to what he said, he said, minister who wrote this article but they will argue that they are not judging anyone much less the church administration but then why did they make a list of sins ranging from paganism to murder that the administration is supposedly guilty of isn't that the very definition of judging someone did we make a list of sins we first made a list of what what do we actually do we made a list of god's commands. commands why because that's the standard by which we can judge As something is right or wrong why because we want to remove that speck (laughs) we want to show the Word of God we use that as a standard so that we can all be recipients of salvation and so if we post a command of God a list of God's commands if you go against that well we tried our best you know we're here to serve we just want all things to work out well and so when the minister wrote this, he added also not only that, but this also, this the following thing. They accuse the administration of misusing funds, yet their own use of their collections lacks any sort of transparency. Exclamation point. What does that mean when you put exclamation point? It kind of like shouted out, right? Our collection lacks any sort of transparency. Who is really benefiting from your funds anyway? And so here's the minister from INC, and he's accusing us of no transparency. Is that true? Do we have transparency? Yeah. Why do we have transparency? Because we belong to a nonprofit organization. What does that mean? We are required by law to file taxes, not only that, to report what goes in, what goes out, and what happens and how the funds are used. What do you call that? transparency i challenge this minister Challenge him. can we also do that for your church can we check what goes in what goes out and how it's used because if you are claiming we don't have transparency well how about your church truth is you can look at this uh, web article pastor calls for church transparency with irs form 990 you see church doesn't have to fill that out. This is why churches can be easily exploited. This is why we didn't establish a church. We didn't register a church. If you register a church, you don't have to disclose how the money is spent. But if it's a nonprofit, we have to disclose how the money is spent. You can go to irs.com or irs.gov, and you can look at the organization we belong to, and you can look up how the money is used. Go ahead. Do that because we have transparency. Can we say the same thing about the Church? Church exemption from financial transparency and the abuse of power it breeds. Why does it breed uh, abusive power? Why? We're not saying INC is guilty of this. Okay. But what we're saying is the Church cannot be completely transparent. The organization we belong to is more transparent than any church. Why? Well, churches should voluntarily abide by the same laws and IRS rules that govern all other tax exempt organizations a all other tax exempt organizations are required to uh, file form 1023 application for recognition of exempt exemption under section 501c3 of the IR code and form 990 return of organization exempt from income tax b the law requires that those forms to be made available to the public, which is the most significant element of financial transparency imposed on tax exempt organizations. An element that unfortunately does not apply to churches. This is why if this minister really wants to show transparency, I challenge him. Go show your financial records. Share it with the public if you're really transparent. All we ask, and so him accusing us of lack of transparency, it's kind of. I mean, I don't want to use it, but isn't that a bit hypocritical? It doesn't make any sense, right? This is why, going back to what he said, if your fallen friends are still reading, take this advice don't be a hypocrite, go back and read the verses you omitted, meditate on them. Actually. They should read the whole chapter, not just the verses that were made. Read the whole chapter. Why? So that we can understand the message of Yahushua. What does it mean not to judge? Do not condemn someone to hell, just like the Pharisees. Does it mean we are not to judge at all? No, we are to judge concerning what is right and what is wrong. The right religion, the wrong religion, the right prophet, the false prophet. We need to judge all of that using the standard of the word of ah, God. So we are to judge. We are to judge to determine what path God wants us to take the narrow path that leads to life everlasting okay that's our lesson for today let us all stand and we shall pray together everlasting father yes. gracious God Yahuwah yes thank you so much for the clarity of your words yes indeed your gospel reveals all yes this is what we have used to make our decision Amen. This is why we are so thankful for your guidance, for the power of your spirit. Yes. Thank you so much for revealing this to us. Yes. We did not imagine that what we have received from you will be so bountiful. Yes. Forgive us if we ever doubted, But during those early days when we left the institution. Yes. The truth is we were groping about in the dark. Yes. But once you have slowly revealed to us your prophecies. Father, we knew we were in the right path. Because the prophecies shine the light upon us. And we have a basis for our hope, for our our election, for our services. We know, Father, we have direction. Because your words guide and direct our paths. Please remember and bless your people. Yes, there are so many who need to understand the truth. Yes. Use this so, platform, O oh God, that your message will quickly spread to more and more people. Yes, the Father. Father, more will be called into the fold and receive your proper blessings. Amen. Lord Yahusha the Christ, we yes. also call upon you now. Help us to make good decisions. Yes. Help yes. us to make good judgments yes. based upon your words and teachings. But we will remain with you and by your side yes. all the days of our life amen. father thank you for listening to our prayers yes blessing your people always yes. we ask everything in the name of our lord and savior yahushua the christ amen amen